Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. he was sat at his desk reading military strategy, but if he tried to think too hard about it, it sent his head into a spin, so he decided not to. All he knew was that he was angry, and the words weren't going in, but reading was the best he could do right now. A small knock on the window brought him out of his thoughts, and for a second, he hesitated. If he turned around, he would see a face swallowed by fire, a person who he desperately wanted to hold, but knew that he couldn't. A splitting pain shot across his skull, and he would have winced if he was capable of it. But he hadn't winced that first time, so he wouldn't wince now. No matter how much he wanted to turn around, his body wouldn't allow it. Instead, his left hand raised, middle finger sticking up, and he went straight back to reading. That voice of fire and distortion, stopping the true tone Lin knew was pleading. His head swam with a mixture of what he was experiencing right now, and the blanks that his memories automatically filled in for him. Except there shouldn't be memories, not of things occurring in the present. He turned in his chair, staring out of the window and beyond. He was supposed to be shocked, but... It all seemed far too familiar for that. A figure crouched at his window, cape obscuring the hard lines of his body against the night beyond. A figure with no hair and fire for a face. What the fuck did you do to your hair? His voice came out without him wanting it to, asking about probably the least shocking thing happening right now. The figure pointed to his ears, and Lin almost tripped over as his body moved forward without his input, following a set path like a train car. He fiddled with the lock, finally opening it to let the man inside, along with the freezing rain that hammered against his skin in protest. "'What the fuck did you do to your hair?' he repeated as Roe dropped in through the window gracefully, no sound coming from him despite the number of weapons hanging off his belt." His clothes were... odd. More casual than any Lin had seen in his wardrobe before, almost common in their appearance. Ro wasn't planning on staying at home any longer. He giggled nervously, one hand coming up and through the inferno of his face to rub against his head. His once knee-length hair had been cut into a short stubble, barely enough to see the colour that his mother had always adored. Can't tell anyone. I'm leaving. Tonight. I'm going across the mountains and joining the fight. 
Lynn's brain whirred. Roe had been given a place at the school in one of the top offices discussing defence strategies if the fight did make it over the Hartis Ridge. But that... There's a group I found. They're stationed right down on the front line. Firewalkers. Lynn's chest felt like it exploded. Memories of what he felt that day, the panic at losing his sibling, mixed with the utterance of the name that came from Micah's mouth earlier that... No. There was no one called Micah. This was the first time he had ever experienced this. The lack of sleep must be getting to him. You should come with me, Roe urged, and the speed at which Lynn's heart was beating only got worse. Sadness, adrenaline, a pure, unbridled fear that Lynn had never quite felt before. There are generals stationed outside Brayden. You can't cast magic, but there's no one in the country as smart as you. You can really help us win. You know that as well as I do. Plus, I need someone to watch my back. Lynn bit his lip, looking away from the burning heat of the fire in front of him. A small part of his brain screamed at him that he was avoiding Rose's eyes. I can't. You know that Dad... Fuck Dad! Rose spat, and it sent a shiver of fear through Lynn's soul. Do you think he's going to let me join a unit on the front lines? Do you think he's even going to let me out the house if he sees what I did to my hair? We go in silence. Tonight. Lynn's heart broke in two. On the one hand, he had done enough to make his father hate him, and this would only beat down that relationship further. He would lose everything he had spent over half a century building on one rash decision. On the other... Roe was impulsive. He would run straight into the jaws of death if it looked like fun. How would he act if he didn't have Lynn holding him back? Rose's hand found his, squeezing tightly. His skin burnt on contact, so hot he was amazed the fire in Rose's face hadn't spread to him. Come with me. Get out of this hellhole. Start from the bottom in one of the tactical units. Work your way up. With your brain, you'll be running the army in no time. And the immodest part of Lynn knew it was true. While all of the Chasso children were smart... Everyone knew Lynn was the smartest. But that didn't help with the fear that seemed to flow through his veins like treacle. But what if we... What if we what? Rose snapped. Die? Then we fucking die. But we die doing something important. We're not left rotting in this dump. Dying a hero is infinitely better than this, right? And he was right. Lynn had a chance. A chance to be something more than his curse, something more than a failure. A chance to make a real, noticeable difference in this world. One nod was all that it took. And he really, really believed that he could remember Rose's smile. The shift in position made Lynn feel sick. 
He knew that he hadn't teleported. The sudden appearance of tiredness in his bones and pain in his feet told him that he had been on the road for days. He was stood in the rain again, somehow feeling the cold of it sinking into his bones alongside the burning heat of Rose's proximity. They were stood outside the commander's tent in Braden, trying to find some privacy among the bustling of soldiers being given new orders. He remembered the tiredness in Rose's eyes, not having slept for eight days, and it was showing. They had just managed to get Lynn accepted into the command unit, and now... And now Ro was leaving. Lynn knew it would come. He wasn't stupid, but he thought he would have more time. He thought there would be a few down days, days they could spend saying goodbye before Ro left for possibly the last time. They had stood there, face to face, unsure what to say. The longest that Lynn had been without Ro had been three days, and now... You can't leave, Lynn whispered, voice cracking despite his best efforts. You can't go, not yet, not... You'll be okay, Rose soothed, and Lynn wished that fucking distortion wasn't ruining it for him. I'm not worried about me, he choked through his tears, for once in his life not caring about everyone around staring at him. Worried about you... Ro chuckled, an empty noise that grated against Lynn's skull. Well, I am worried about you. But look, I got you a present. The dagger appeared in midair, summoned to Ro's hand by magic more powerful than most of these people had ever seen in their lives. It was long, perfectly balanced, with the lingering smell of blade oil that usually clung to Ro's skin. He passed it over carefully closing Lynn's fingers around the grip. This will protect you even when I'm not around. Find a holster for it that keeps the blade free. Get close to you. Lynn waited less than a second before almost falling forward, not caring about the flames and the heat that engulfed him as he did. He felt his skin blister and peel, the scent of burning hair surrounding him, but but feeling Ro in his arms again was worth it. It had been too long, and he would take whatever he could get. Lynn woke up warm, and for a moment he was terrified that he was still in the dream with Ro's burning arms around him. It took a moment for him to understand that this was actually real life. Kaelin had obviously turned over in his sleep and was lying with his arms wrapped around him. It was sweet and calmed Lynn down in a way that he couldn't quite put into words. Kaelin, in his sleep, had turned to hug him. It was something that happened rarely, at best. But it did pose a problem. Lynn usually didn't really mind staying in bed with Kaylin all night, but right now he just wanted to get up. His mind was restless, and thus so was his body. He needed to get out of here, do something that wasn't just lie down and think. It must have taken about half an hour before Kaylin moved enough to let Lynn wriggle out from underneath him. He took a few more minutes sitting on the edge of the bed, 
trying to listen out for any sound of Caelan waking up before standing and heading through to his bathroom. He knew, deep down, that there was no reason for him to be burnt. But he looked over his skin anyway, checking his arms and his chest for evidence of the heat that had spread throughout his body in the dream. His skin was unmarred, of course, apart from the tattoos that stood starkly against his pale complexion. And the necklace. The gold necklace with the pitch-black void in the centre. It hadn't always looked like that. When Lynn had bought it, the gem had been full of colour, a deep red flecked with bright splashes of colour that seemed to move and shimmer when you weren't quite paying attention. He had spotted it being offered by a refugee of the war, not long after he got his first paycheck from the army. He didn't know how much it was worth, but he knew he needed it, and the seller seemed over the moon when Lynn handed him an entire purse full of money. He was told that the necklace held a rare power, and that it could protect its wearer from death, but only the once. A part of him thought it might be a lie, some tall tale spun by a desperate man in order to sell some old, useless antique. But doing some research in a quite frankly tiny library in the village, and it seemed to check out. Roe had seemed pleased when he received the necklace, too. Lynn had never meant for it to be as an exchange for his dagger, but he supposed that was what it looked like. Roe had handed him a form of protection, a way to keep himself safe, and he wanted nothing more than to give Roe something that could, hopefully, keep him safe as well. He still remembered the sheer panic when Roe returned with the amulet activated. It had been after his time in the war had ended and Lynn had returned back home. Roe had turned back up at his window the same way that he did the night that they left. He had remained quiet, not wanting the rest of his family to know of his return. Lynn had cried when he saw the amulet, knowing what that black colour meant. Roe had died, and he didn't even know how. He knew now that Roe would never speak of it. He had hung on to his sibling and cried until his voice was hoarse. Looking back, he didn't seem to remember Roe reciprocating it. Just a quick greeting before he got on to the reason he was really there. Half of Lynn wished he had seen it at the time, and half envied that past Lynn who fell into his arms without question. He turned to leave the bathroom, heading back into the bedroom and across to one of his wardrobes. He wasn't worried, per se, but he knew there were things in there that he absolutely could not have Kaelin and Micah finding. The Firewalkers had been a small unit. If Kaelin and Micah were the children of members, then they probably knew Roe. And that... Lynn couldn't risk that. Who knows what they had been told about him? What stories had been passed around the campfire before being told to children in their homes? Lynn couldn't risk those stories tarnishing the reputation he had built up for so long. The box would have to move, somewhere safe, somewhere neither Micah nor Kaelin could find it. The box was small, but ornately ingrained with bright red ruby inlays. Lynn had received it as a present, 
Even he couldn't remember how long ago. But the box wasn't important. It was what was inside it. Lin carefully carried it through to his office, placing it on his desk before sitting down in front of it. His fingers ran across the inlays, trying to commit them to memory, knowing he wouldn't be able to get it out anywhere near as often as he did before the two of them moved in. He opened it slowly, careful not to disrupt the contents too much. Some of them were decades old, and he lacked the proper magic to keep them as good as new. Sure, he could take them to a local magic shop, but they were just too personal. He didn't want anyone else seeing them. Lying on the top was a battered piece of paper, folded into quarters to be able to fit. Pulling it out, he carefully unfolded it, laying it out on the table. All three of them had been taught to draw as children. Their father allowed it as it taught them the fine motor control needed to draw ritual circles, and their mother loved the opportunities to study some of the less academic subjects. Whereas Lynn had taken that hobby and flourished, Roe had pulled away to learn his magic before he got much further than sketching. That wasn't to say Roe wasn't very good at it. He was. The picture in front of him was almost like real life. Roe stood to the right of a human man, slightly shorter than him in a way that allowed him to rest his elbow easily on his shoulder. He didn't know much about the man except he was Roe's immediate superior. Roe had named him Lorende, a brother by choice, not by blood. On the other side of Lorende was Isilda. She was a mountain of a woman, towering even taller than Roe and with biceps the size of his waist. She had been named after the beauty of starlight reflecting off a lake, a name used by generations of star elves to refer to the true love of their life. Lynn had nearly hit the floor when Roe told him. Their father would never, ever allow them to marry someone who wasn't an elf. And a human? Roe had decided to give his heart to a human when he was too young to be deciding such things. Why should I care? Roe had told him. I'm gonna be married off to whoever pays dad enough money. I'll never love my spouse. But Isilde? I love Isilde. Lynn didn't know their real names, of course. He had asked Roe to keep them secret. Lynn already knew the name of one person he was sending into their death. He didn't want to know any others. He wondered if they were still alive. He wondered whether they knew that Roe was dead. Were they at the fake funeral that was held in the city? A part of him hoped they weren't. It wasn't as if he would have been able to find them if he had... Then would he have even invited them to the real funeral? He wasn't sure. The rest of the box was filled with whatever jewellery Roe had been carrying on him when he died. He hadn't removed any his sibling had been wearing. No, he would be sent to the next life in that. All of the piercings which decorated his eyes and his nose and his mouth and his ears. Whenever Roe came home, there was always another piercing, or three. The last time Lynn saw him, he had counted 26 on his face and ears alone. 
And finally, there was a token. A small token that Roe had always carried with him. Lynn had never been religious, how could he be? How could he be okay with the gods that allowed such a young child to suffer like he had? And Roe? Roe had told him he agreed, that he would no longer worship the gods in solidarity. But he had found a token on Roe's body, small and made of solid gold. On the one face was a carving of a woman, holding out one hand to hold a miniature replica of the sun. Lynn knew that if she was coloured, she would be a dark-skinned elf with beautiful flowing ginger hair. It was the symbol of Enke, his mother's goddess, one which Ro had grown up following. On the other side was a carving of a shield, with a fist in the middle of it. Lynn knew from his research that it was the symbol of Ios, the god of protection and sacrifice. It made sense, really. A lot of soldiers worshipped Ios. It shouldn't be surprising that Ro had picked it up too. It stung, keeping it. It was a symbol of how Ro had broken a promise, how Ro had moved on from those days of being inseparable as children. But in the end, it was Rose, and that's why Lynn would keep it. He replaced everything with the care it deserved, careful not to bend any of the jewellery or tear the drawing. Once the box was closed and everything hidden away, he moved over to the corner of the room, holding up a hand and placing it gently onto the wall. This was a place not even his father had known when it had been his office, a change to the building requirements he had asked of the builders when he was a small child. It worked fully mechanically, which was perfect for Lynn. Four bricks pulled apart to reveal a small hiding space. It had once been big enough for Lynn to crawl into, but he had far grown out of that. Instead, he reached in, leaving the box gently on the bottom. Here? Here it would be safe. But it wouldn't be forgotten. 